0: Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so thrilled today to be talking about the film The Northman. We are joined today by director and co-writer Robert Eggers, along with editor Louise Ford, production designer Craig Lathrop, and hair and makeup designer Marilyn Sherman. And, and Robert, starting with you, um, in terms of a lot of the design elements, obviously, there's certain practicalities that come with telling a story of this scope in the fact that in an ideal world, you'd be able to do numerous takes, you'd have multi-cameras for some of the larger scenes. Um, but obviously, Obviously in filming uh, the majority of the film with just one camera, with a lot of single shots, even in the more extensive larger scenes where you have several characters and, and several background performers throughout. Um, I was interested in how some of the practical elements of you know only having so many changes of a costume in a scene where you've got blood flying around everywhere, you've got mud being added to characters throughout moments, um, how elements like that informed some of the ways in which you told this story and some of the ways in which you approached filming certain scenes throughout the film yeah
1: i mean i think that uh uh, there's all you know i mean just with the example that you gave i think you know you kind of uh know if people are going to get muddy and bloody if you can try to arrange it so that like they're muddy enough that you won't notice blood continuity problems if you have to do another take that's a, a good safe way uh out and definitely something that we employed but um but yeah i mean i think uh you know part of part of the fun of shooting uh single camera um in with long takes is trying to figure out the puzzle of how to do it all and how to pull it all off that's part of what's so enjoyable about about it
0: I love that. And, and Louise, in talking about the editing, you know, particularly when we're, we're focusing on the central story with Alexander Skarsgård character, there's so much emotional tension that's building throughout. And so as you were going through and editing and really just, you know, I've, I've heard you say that you really go with just that, that gut instinct of, of what's the emotional space of a particular scene or a particular choice of take, um, how that would really influence the way that you in the post-production process were working to build this incredible emotional tension that centers around the story throughout
2: I mean you know it's in the script it's my job to uh just when I'm looking at performances feel the authenticity you know you can sort of I mean I mean and Alex was I mean I think it's the best it's it's the best acting I've seen him doing anything I think uh Robert really pulled that out of him and uh so it, it you know it wasn't a case of I had like one good take to choose from there was uh you know many uh and particularly the scene that you know the scene with Nicole in the, in uh in the, the you know one of the quiet scenes everybody talks about the raid and all and they are all spectacular and there's so many spectacular scenes in this movie every scene is kind of spectacular like the most kind of uh traditional if you want to call it that is just him and Nicole talking and that to me is is that's Almost the scene I had the most fun editing, actually, because it's all about the emotion and where the characters are and good acting and it was a pleasure you know because they're both amazing. <laughs>
0: Agreed. It's, it's such a wonderful scene in the center of the film Um, and Craig in coming over and talking about the the production design, obviously Robert's incredibly extensive with a lot of the research he's done, um, brings so many experts onto the team, particularly for a film like this. But I know that there was also research that you as an extension were doing yourself. Um, I've heard you mention Neil Price's lecture series as something that was a really useful tool to you. Um, And so when you're looking at research, both that Robert has already collected and spaces that you want to explore by yourself for for a project like this where there aren't visual things that you can lean into? There's no pictures. There's no video footage from, from the Viking period, obviously. Um, how do you dive into a lot of the words and descriptions and then start to conceptualize this world of what that may have all looked like in terms of the design elements for you and your team?
3: Well, you, I look for everything. I do look for what is available um, visually. There is quite a bit in terms of what's in museums and, and um you know, and, and, and the archeological record. Um, did a lot of research on this to start with. I think um, uh, Rob requires that of everybody uh, on, the, on the film. So um, I think that we did have quite a lot of visual information when we started on it. I think that's the short answer.
0: That's great. Um, and and Marilyn, with a lot of the hair and makeup, obviously, you know, you're creating these these looks and feels that feel very weathered from the landscape. And then there's also different extensions of, you know, how much brutality have they been through? Have they just been on a boat where there's also wind and and salt in the air? Um, and so, what was the starting point for you in figuring out these very naturalistic, earthy looks? And then how you were going to have them weathered to different degrees, depending on where the characters are in each moment.
4: I think to be honest, that was my main concern. I wanted them to, I wanted it to look really real and gritty and and as you say, weathered whatever the scene was. We have so much stuff that we put through the hair. We, you know, we had I had extra wigs made so that there was one ready for the next scene that's clean and the other one, you know, might be smothered in blood. Um you're always prepared for, for whatever it is. You, you know, the, the main point is just getting it real. So that's uh, that was my, my
1: main goal. I mean, luck, luckily we were shooting in miserable, mucky, windy locations. <laughs> Every once in a while an issue if someone didn't grow their own beard, which was very few people, was oh. trying to keep people's beards from flying off. <laughs>
4: We we had a a very uh, one of my team members excellent at uh, laying on hair. um, Steffi, she's Italian. That's in their training. Um, So any most of the beards were their own, but a lot of them had bits added. And those that didn't have beards, I know Robert doesn't like lace on the beards. You know, doesn't want to see any lace. So they're all you know either their own beards or they were laid on. So it's always easy to lay on a bit more, you know. One hand at a time. (laughs)
0: And Robert and Louise, and coming back to the post-production of the film as well, it was such an extensively long period Um, once you include the shoot of the film, plus the actual editing time period. I think it was about 14 months um, of creating rough cuts and then going deeper into the final cuts. And and obviously, that's a space where you're really figuring out the pacing, the rhythm, the emotional scope of scenes very meticulously and going back and forth on certain moments. And so I was interested from, from when you first started putting together initial rough cuts to kind of looking towards later in the process um, some of the kind of moments that you were really finessing and and were a little bit more challenging to find certain beats on with the two of you
1: I mean all you know Lou you can follow up with more detail I think you know almost every movie ever made like the beginning's too long you know and almost movie ever every movie ever made like you need to like focus it down even more to the central protagonist and I think like, you know, there's I'm Lou thinks something more interesting to say, <laughs> but I but certainly that that was, you know, part of this journey that everybody kind of goes on when when they're in the post process.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think I was we were thinking the same thing. It, it was the open, you know, it's the beginning and the ending.
1: Yeah. With every film I work on,
2: Roberts uh, 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 and all the other directors I work with, it's always the beginning, it's always the beginning and the ending, you know, um, because obviously what you find. You know they're over, they're overwritten. A lot of times the openings are overwritten because, uh, you know, when you see it on the page, I mean, then what happens is when it's shot, when it's filmed, so much of the story is in the visual uh, that you're getting that you find you don't need. You know, uh, in our case, there was there was more of Willem being you know acting the fool in the banqueting hall when the king arrived back. And he, we know Willem's so good that you get his character in like the small piece of that scene that we have in the film. That's all you need, you know, to get the world. And then the ending, uh, the ending's tricky. On, the ending was tricky on this one because, you know, spoiler alert, the hero dies in the end. And that's a difficult, that's a difficult, that's a tricky thing. Uh, to leave an audience with because you want them to feel still satisfied you know with the ending of a story and it's always it's always a a bummer <laughs> when the hero dies in the end you know so we spent a lot of time shaping that to give people some kind of feeling of you know release and like uh, it was a happy, i mean it's not a happy ending but it's it's <laughs> more of a, 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 a what's the word i i have i've lost my
1: words it's well um, but it- it's, I mean, for Amleth, it's a happy ending. And yeah. so and so that's something for people to chew on.
2: <laughs> but it's also, you know, it's, up, I mean, I was going to say uplifting in a sense that, that visually, you know, that's that end shot of the Valkyrie carrying him off to, you know, Valhalla. It's such a beautiful shot anyway, and the music and everything. So it all sort of conspires to make you feel like it's a satisfying ending, you know, if not you know, hundred percent happy, but. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Robert Eggers film. What do you want? <laughs> <laughs> they all die in the end, you know. <laughs> it's it's true of the time period of, as well. <laughs> it's true to the story, you know. Let's be real, you know. I mean, obviously, film, real life, two different things, of course. Um, but if you if you follow the the again following the authentic line of the story, if you follow how the you know the story comes out of the characters as it does in all the best films. You know, you follow the character um, and it tells you, the character tells you where the film's going to end, you know? And, you know, a lot of times when you have an interesting, complex character, it's not necessarily going to
0: be happy ever after, is it? <laughs> Just like real life. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> And and coming back to you, Craig, I wanted to talk a little Mm -hmm. bit about the the relationship that you had in working with the visual effects team, because obviously the, the intention was to build as much as you could on location and to have things be in camera. But with this project as a whole, there were certain limitations logistically because of COVID and it being so early in the pandemic when you all filmed in 2020. Um, And so there would be moments where maybe there was a location and and structure that was built, but there'd be a slight extension to that that space Mm -hmm. that needed to be effects Mm -hmm. add-ons. And it sounds like you and your team would be creating visual drawings of what that was going to look like so that they would know very early on what that was potentially going to look like. And I I was just interested in a little bit more about that collaboration. And, and how you determined where that was a necessity as an extension of the wonderful work that you were doing with your team?
3: We tried to get as much into camera as possible. So we tried to keep visual effects down to, I think our rule of thumb was 20% of the frame. Um, Angela's great. She helped us out every day. She was there to, to, to chat with us and to talk about what we could and couldn't do. And, and yeah, we did drawings for... Um, Quite a bit, if not all, of, of the visual effects, just so that she would understand what the architecture was, what the extension was, and what we were hoping to get, and so that Rob could see what it was that we were talking about adding. Um, so that was kind of the, the relationship: is that we were we we worked all through the um, the shooting of the film and the planning, the early planning of it. I mean, for instance, we wanted to build the, the long house originally. We wanted to build the long house uh, at her but because of budget cuts, we decided that that was uh, something that Angela should take over. So that was a fully drawn set basically that she um, that she built virtually.
1: Yeah, luckily, luckily Craig had designed it and all the buildings around it because originally we were gonna build it. Yes. <laughs> Um, and and I think you know and Craig built some massive massive sets uh, uh, on on location on stage, and, uh, and 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 it was such a great place to start with. And we you know you see so many Viking ships in the film, but you know we only built two complete Viking ships uh, that we then you know shot multiple passes, and Angela was able to make it look like we had more ships and by putting different sails on and things like that. So it was, it was a very fun collaboration for
3: sure
0: incredible and, and Marilyn one of the looks that I wanted to ask you about oh, yeah. particularly as it relates to collaborating with the costume department was the the look for Bjork's character oh, where it kind of sure. you know it has this very otherworldly feel and obviously that's very different to what you were talking about before with kind of the grit and the mud and and all of the, the elements that that bought into it and so how was that a very different design for you and how closely oh, yes. were you working with the costume first, department
4: first of all I thought it was a brilliant design the whole thing and then I um, I was given the headdress to try out to see how, you know, we were gonna put it on. It's so heavy. And I had all these wefts to put in Bjork's hair, but um, I had to do little, little. Um, the only way I can explain it is little elastic bands in bits of hair on her and put them in little knots. And that way I was able to really pin through the headdress and pin into, um, these what I've done with her hair. But I also had the, the long hair coming down, which um you wouldn't have seen what I'd done with her hair anyway because it was all covered. Um, but it was good fun and Bjork was just wonderful to work with. And uh you know as long as we get the you know the thumbs up from Robert, you know, every, as far as I'm going to say it all worked really well. So um, yeah. everyone seemed happy. She looked <clears throat> fantastic. She really did. And it was so the- different from from all the Viking stuff, you know, it just looked completely different. So it was nice. All these pieces that were put in throughout it just uh made it so interesting, fabulous,
1: I thought. There there was a moment when she was trying the headdress on when she, she had her head down and there was a long pause yeah. and And, uh, you know, I asked, are you all right? Is this uncomfortable? Is it too heavy? And she kind of puts her head up and said, think about all the crazy stuff I've worn. This is nothing.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she was really lovely.
0: That's amazing, and I kind of, you know, touching a little bit further on on research elements for all of you. um, You know, I I think there's something that Craig's mentioned about this project with production design and and how a lot of the times it's letting the research guide choices that you're making. But every now and then there's an idea that you have where you're almost looking for the research to back that up. And and in your instance, Craig, I think it was, um, you know, a lot of floorings being wooden, but having a specific idea for one of the locations where you really wanted a stone floor. Um, And so for all of you, I was interested. If if that was a space where there were certain times where you were looking for certain details to kind of solidify an idea that you maybe had for a visual aspect within the film.
3: Well, Craig, tell your floor story. Well, <laughs> well yeah, the story, the floor story was um for the Herotincy longhouse. We wanted it to, to represent the king and also the, the, the sound, the clip-clop when he comes in with the with the horse of. Uh, it just didn't seem right on wood, so I mean, I looked and like everything was was basically wooden floors. Um, and then we found a relatively new dig site in Orkney um, that was underneath another big site, and it was a stone floor and a longhouse. And we basically used that same the same size stones. We used real stones and um, recreated it.
4: Wow,
2: was that? Um, when you say relatively recently, sorry, just sidebar here. In the in Orkney, it's like a Viking
3: yeah. yes. thing that's
2: covered. I yes. think my friend worked on is working is an arche, is an archaeologist on that dig. Weirdly. Are you
3: serious? Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious.
2: Oh, cool. so weird. Anyway, sorry, sidebar. <laughs> I mean, how many digs in Orkney can there be doing the Viking stuff, right? I mean, I don't know, maybe great. I mean cuz
3: we were, you know, I was I I wanted a stone floor. I think Rob wanted a stone floor and we didn't have any justification for it. So when I found it, I was like, "Yes. <laughs> I have to do <laughs> <to> that." <them, laughs> <then. laughs> Random. <laughs> um,
1: Jimmy, yeah, I think you? I think, yeah, I, cool. think that, I think, you know, Shona, Shona I, I I always find and Shona agrees that you need to do some writing before you've completed all your research. And so then once you're consulting with the experts, you find that you got some stuff wrong, you know? And, you know, we, we, we wanted like a, a hallucinogen in the ceremony with uh, Ethan Hawke and, and Oscar Novak who plays young Alex's character. You know, we had something uh, but then Neil Price said, "You know, you c- it c- it could be Henbane if you want it." Yeah, and this is like this isn't even no one even says what it is. You know, uh, Defoe says it's the vi- like the the vision meed of knowledge. Uh, but but it's important for us to know that we got it right. You know.
0: And Robert, I also wanted to ask you a little bit about the the sound design of this project because it's so meticulously planned out you know in terms of the music composition but also there's moments where you really strip away some of that and really just focus specifically on the sound effects that are natural to the scene but enhancing certain things that we're hearing at certain points you know the the scene with Nicole Kidman and Alexander Skarsgård that was being mentioned earlier that's a moment where all of a sudden the music just completely strips away and all we're hearing is is kind of the enhanced sound of of the scene amongst all of the dialogue and so how did you find those moments where you really wanted to lean in and have much heavier sound design and music composition, and moments where for the emotional trajectory of certain scenes, you really actually almost wanted to do the opposite and strip it away.
1: Yeah, it's funny because many of my favorite films like have don't have any music in them at all, but all of my films lean very heavily yeah. on music in the northmen more than ever. I think the movies, what is it, like two hours and 10 minutes-ish? And I think there's two hours of score. Uh, so so uh, and a lot of scenes, it seem like they don't have music have kind of like a very subliminal uh, drone, but it is it needs to have this like operatic saga like quality. And so the music is really driving the storytelling. But yeah, I mean, but certainly like a uh, like. Uh, wall-to-wall sound gets tiring for, for like for one thing and and you need those moments where the sounds of nature can uh, can take over or the quiet of the, the the bedroom to leave space where you know the dialogue is more elaborate than any any of the other scenes uh, so the poetry becomes its own kind of music if you want to be uh, fancy about it.
0: I love that. And, and Marilyn, Craig and Louise, for the three of you, I wanted to ask about what did you feel were some of the tools that Robert, you know, in the research that he bought into this project, the way that he wanted to tell this story, the way that he was explaining the visual aspects of, of how he envisioned this, this on screen, what were essentially the tools and details that he gave to each of you and your departments that you felt were the most valuable in figuring out your approach on this story? Uh, Robert was so
4: intent on which which I absolutely love, the period had to be right. He's just so meticulous with everything. I can remember on, on my way to meet him and thinking, I want to say to him, I don't want to do fancy plaits or black tattoos or half shaved heads. And the minute I walked into his room and I saw his, he had a mood wall that stretched from one side of the room to the other with everything you could possibly want to look at to do with the period as it should be and and then he told me he had four historians on it and I just, you know, I was kind of brought up on all period productions when, you know, from my training and just to know that everything was going to be as real as possible for the period and I thought it did everything, every department, I, I just thought it was, the look, the whole look of it was wonderful, so... You know, we just try to
3: contribute to that. Yes, um, contributing. When um if you if you're working on a Robert Eckers film and you're going to bring in a prop, come with the research to show yeah. where it came from, um and its provenance. Um mm. very important. And then you know, dreams and dreams of images that that mm. he brings in, and you share, and that's great. And that's how you you
4: find it. Totally
2: agree. I mean, for, uh, for me, it's more like, I mean, I get, you know, the, Rob and Jaren meticulously storyboarded this movie, like, because, you know, uh,
1: to survive,
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. But I um, was the first time that you had done like the whole movie, you know, before you would do on the other film, previous films, you you'd storyboard the complex scenes, perhaps, um, uh, but, but you know and I looked through that I looked through that before they started shooting and but w- as soon as I start getting the footage in it, it kind of I don't really look at it unless I'm stumped by a scene because the way that uh Rob and Jaron shoot it is it's you know it tells me how to edit it the scene so um but you know just throughout the whole process it's sort of you become, you know, reading Norse myths and you know listening to podcasts and I mean it just sort of becomes all encompassing. You live in that world. My, you know, I had like a little Viking ship with, with sweets <laughs> on my edit thing, and everything was, you know, it was you just become immersed in this world, and uh, it's that's the fun of working on these, you know, working on Robert's movies. You, you know, the the audience is transported to this amazing world, but you know, all of us that are working on it, we're in that world, you know, to an extent, obviously. Uh, I don't go home and like practice my axe throwing or anything like that, but,
0: (laughs) (laughs) but, (laughs) you know, it's always a great,
2: um, it's just such an, he always chooses such interesting, uh, you know, time periods and culture and, and it's a pleasure to get lost in it. You
0: know? And Robert, given what Louise was just saying about how in the past you would storyboard just certain scenes, but this is the first time where you've really meticulously storyboarded out the entire project. But obviously this is an incredibly visually complex film that you've directed. What was the difference that that made for you once you were on location, once you went into filming, having gone through that entire process during pre-production?
1: I mean, it's just, you know, Jaren and I had, didn't have the experience to make this movie at all and uh and 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 nor- you know and we went from making uh you know a very tiny film to like a, a you know a reasonably small film to then you know as big as you can make and, unless you're you know making a comic book movie or you're Christopher Nolan it doesn't get really much bigger than this and and so you and and then we were trying to do these very complex shots i understand why most films like this are shot multiple camera because the pressure of of the, of the pre-production and everything that you're trying to capture is, is massive. And it's so, uh, it would be, it would have been such a relief, you know, uh, to that pressure to know that we can have like two to four cameras to, to kind of just cover ourselves, so to speak. Uh, and what we were, what we were doing was just so much more complicated. So if we had any hope of pulling it off and collaborating with all the departments and communicating with all the departments on what everybody needed to do, we had to storyboard everything. And we were working uh, with um, pr- pr- primarily with this guy, Adam Pescott, who Jaron and I are working with again, who kind of changed the way that he storyboards uh, to, to accommodate what we were doing because we ask for so many uh, drafts, uh, you know, Jaron's particularly meticulous with with Adam uh, and and so Adam ended up working on multiple layers on Photoshop with his hand drawn drawings in order to like tweak these these things very precisely um, you know uh, so that you know I can tell the the story beats that I'm looking for but also Jaron gets the camera framing like much more meticulously than most people would want like in the storyboards for a tool to communicate. Um, so it was, you know, uh we we also worked with a guy, William Simpson, on on a couple of the sequences, um, who was whose style was really fun for the movie because he kind of looks like Conan comic strips. Uh but anyway, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's like the the joy of doing a, a movie like this is 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 really the the collaboration. And you know, as much as uh, I'm bringing stuff to the table, you know. Craig and Marilyn and Linda and, of, of course, the you know uh, uh, the historians, and then in post Lou and Robin and Seb. Everyone's bringing things that I could never think of, like you know. So uh, and 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 improving, you know, my my ideas. You know, some sometimes I have very strong convictions uh, and, and ideas, you know, that are not the best. You know, and 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 in some of these cases with you know uh, Lou and Jaron who've been working with me since I was like 24 or something, you know, there's oftentimes they're telling me this is that's not a Robert Eggers choice. You don't want to do that, you know, uh, and that's uh, that's great.
0: I mean, the the level of collaboration is so evident in everything visually on screen and the way that the story has been told. It's really, really remarkable how incredible everybody's work on this is. So congratulations on an amazing film. And thank you so much to all of you for your time today.
4: Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.
0: Thank you.